Oh, great start. Oh, it's good to be here. Good to see you guys. So we're just going to continue. We've been doing a series on This Is Jesus. And, um, you know, I love when we get an opportunity to just call a series for what it is. Because every time we get up here and speak, <laughs> it is all about Jesus anyway. But here we actually get to tell you the title of it. So we're going to actually look at Jesus. And in the middle, we're going to be looking at Jesus. And then when we conclude and come to the end of it, it's going to be about Jesus. So if at any point it's not about Jesus, just wait a little bit because we'll get back to it, because it's all about Jesus. So we're in Mark's gospel today, and that's quite a while ago. I spoke Last time I spoke, I spoke about the preparation that comes before Jesus enters. And today I want to just talk about God revealed through divinity restrained. I want to talk to you about how God is revealed when his divine attributes are restrained or withheld by him. Because I think if we get this, I know for me, if I can understand this in greater depth, actually it brings freedom. And this week I've been chatting a lot with my wife about grace and I don't get grace half as much as I should yeah I don't get grace half as much as I should and that's okay for where I'm at but it's not okay to stay here and actually I want to understand grace more and so I want to Go through these passages today because I want you to understand that actually the freedom is not in the doing. The freedom is in Jesus. So we're going to read from Mark 1, 21 to the end. It starts with this. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in there, a sin, in, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, And immediately they told him about her, and he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The Gospel of Mark doesn't really slow down in its pace when he starts going. And it's just one thing after another. And in this particular part of passage, as many seems Jesus doing many things. But all this is set up, and, and before any of these healings actually take place, the greatest, and in some theologians' minds, the, the most pivotal point in Jesus' ministry happens before this, and that's the temptations of Jesus. And some will even say that this is even of greater significance than any of the healings or miracles he ever did. And we have this, before any of this happens, we have this incidence in the desert where Satan himself is tempting Jesus. And it has this, I don't know for you, but immediately it it kind of conjures up that moment in the, the Garden of Eden where Satan tempts Adam and Eve. And there's this almost parallel happening here. The first Adam tempted, making a choice. And the second Adam tempted and making a choice. And the temptations of both of them seem to run parallel. The temptation for Adam and Eve was, you could be like God. Don't you want to be God? Do you know that you could be like God? You see, the temptation for Jesus was not about his divinity. Satan wasn't tempting him to be divine. The temptation for Jesus was the very fact that says, can you really be human? Here's Satan saying to Jesus, can Jesus, can you really live in flesh and blood? Can you truly be human? Do you know there is an easier way, Satan Satan was saying to him? Easier way. Just, Just be more divine. Just be less human. Just take the shortcuts and don't worry about the natural. You're hungry. Jesus, don't worry about laboring for your food. Just skip it. Skip that part and just go straight to the divine and make those rocks into bread. See, the greatest temptation Jesus had all through, if you look at every temptation... It is always about, can you truly, truly be human, Jesus? At every moment, even on the cross, the temptation is what? Display your divinity. Don't be human and die. 
power of Jesus in the temptations was not to display his divinity. It was to restrain it. See, Jesus didn't pull on the overalls of humanity. He didn't pull it on like a mechanic who had to go and do a job, something dirty. He must pull on humanity, get down and dirty and fix and solve a problem. That's not what the humanity of Christ was about. And we miss that if we start to think of Jesus as nothing more as God humanized. And actually, part of it for us is we can also think it's, it's a man made into a divine. But it's neither of those. It's neither a man becoming into divinity or a God being humanized. It is a, an amazing union of both natures where they are both God and man. And if you look at most of the healings that Jesus do, the most of the healings that Jesus does, it's about him restraining his divine power. Why would Jesus, why would God restrain his divine power? Three times, we have three different times it says in here that Jesus, twice to the demonic, he refused to let them speak because they knew who he was. And one to the man with leprosy and he says, do not tell anyone. The healing of God the miracles that Jesus is performing here is restrained. You know, I, I often think when Jesus was in the desert, here's, here's the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and he's meeting with the ultimate enemy. And you're just thinking, surely the solution is smite him now, be done with it. But who hasn't thought, wouldn't it just be easy if Jesus just destroyed Satan? Like, seriously, you couldn't be human and not think that. And here's an opportunity, Jesus in the desert, to actually have the divine power. We know it will happen, but at this moment right now, Jesus could have completely annihilated and eliminated Satan right there and then. Saved himself suffering. Saved his disciples' suffering. And yet he restrains his divinity and reveals his humanity. And we don't like that. We don't like it that God restrains his divinity. We don't like it that God would choose suffering over power. But there's a reason for it. Because God is not here to overwhelm you so that you are so unable to make any other decision but to say, you're divine and I must choose you. 
See, Jesus isn't here to overwhelm us in such a way that our only response would be that of servitude through fear. Because that's the way Satan works. See, the way Satan works is to make you fear so that you will give in to things through fear, but Jesus will never, ever do that. And whenever we see these miracles, I'm reading through these miracles and I've I've read this a million times over these last few weeks. And every time I'm reading it, Jesus is withholding the fullness of his divinity. And even telling them to, shh, don't let anyone know about this. It's what the theologians call the messianic secret. But Jesus, and Mark speaks about it more than any of the other Gospels, where he speaks about, so often he's telling the people to just, don't, don't tell anyone about what has happened here. Don't tell them the miracle. And even on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus told them, don't tell anyone this until I've gone. Here's Jesus saying he's holding back. He's almost refusing for his divinity to come out. And see, for us, this is very helpful because we're the other side of the cross now. And the divinity of Christ is ever present for us. Whenever we speak or pray or, or read the scripture, we're reading it through the, the mindset and the eyes and the, the understanding of Jesus as God. But Jesus didn't come to show people straight away that he is the divine being that he is so that you must compelled to obey. He holds it back. And when you're reading through these separate healings that are happening here, every time there's a key moment. There's a key moment in there just before Jesus does the miracle, just before Jesus does the healing, where he's not connecting on a place of, look at me. He's not trying to wow the crowds. He's not trying to big up his ministry. You know, have you ever noticed that Jesus never sends out an advanced group to warm the crowds up? He never does a, a mail shot to send it through to the towns he's about to visit so that the crowds would be already gathered. Jesus seems to be so much more of, I'm not trying to stir up the crowds to follow me. In fact, he was not even, we reading, he'd, he'd rather not that the crowds would follow him. He'd rather that he could get into the cities. You see, Jesus' mission on earth was not that he could have a massive big church, a massive big following. He didn't come to spend three years to save everyone right there and then. Thank God for that because we wouldn't be here if that was the case. He restrained so that more may come in. And as, as you're reading through this, and I'm, I'm, the very first one that we hear about, the unclean spirit, and the very first thing that Jesus does when he comes in to any place is he's teaching, he's preaching. And have you ever wondered what he was talking about? 
Because I, I think sometimes it's a little bit unfair that people have got to hear him preach. All they just say is, Jesus was in the synagogue teaching that day. And you're like, what, 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 what? What was he saying? What was, the, what was the message for the day? But Mark tells us earlier on, he says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, Jesus' message was pretty much the same wherever he went. Every time he got up to speak, the same message, God saves. Salvation is now. The kingdom is coming. Every time. Every time. And here he is in the synagogue in Capernaum saying the same things. He's not drawing attention to him, the miracle maker. He's not drawing his attention to himself as Jesus, the divine. He's saying God is here. God is near. God is with us. And as he teaches, the, the, the people are astonished. They're astonished, aren't they? They're astonished that he's teaching because it is with authority. Or it says here that he teaches as one who had authority. And it's amazing when Jesus teaches, he almost uses the, the Bible as commentary for what he's saying. As opposed to when, when we teach, when we look at the scripture, it's our commentary of what the Bible's saying. The Bible is the, the absolute, the, the authority upon which we base all teaching. And we, and we look through this to say, how can we bring out what God has put into his word? Jesus was the other way around. He is the ultimate word. And he used the scriptures as commentary for who he was and what he said. And the, and the people were amazed at this. And he withheld his divinity in these moments so that they would understand not that the divine was there in power, but was there in love. You see, this, this first moment, this unclean spirit, is trying to point out and once again is trying to say, Jesus, here's a moment. I'm going to give you a moment. Once again, Satan's giving him a moment. Show your divinity. Here, I'm even calling you out. Here's a holy one. Here's the one sent by God to save you. This is the demonic calling him out. And what does Jesus do? Shut up. <laughs> Be silent. Don't speak. You see, Jesus never, ever bowed to the temptation to show his divinity. Because that would be Jesus trying to control, and he doesn't do that. Because what does Jesus do with demonic? He doesn't control demonic. He drives it out. He casts it out. He destroys it. This is, this is the thing with Jesus, is he's not a, I want to control what's happening. He's, He's actually bringing the kingdom of God into the place where he is right there and then. 
And we have these stories, and, and in the middle of this story is the actual heart of what Jesus is here to do, the real what he's trying to get to. And it's this. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve. Jesus comes in a personal way. He doesn't come as a God who is fire and brimstone or lightning and smoke and a big show. Actually, we read in Scripture that it says that he has no real place to lay his head. In fact, they're so poor... (laughs) that they have to glean from the fields to just to eat. He's not coming in his power of the divine. He's coming in the love of God in human form. And why? Why in human form? Why couldn't the love of God just appear in divine form? Well, I was reading a, a book by Philip Yancey, and he describes it as he had this fish tank. And he said, and he looked after these fish well, and he had a UV light to, you know, to, to help keep the water healthy and the fish healthy. He, he had a, um, a water filtration system. He, you know, he made sure he aerated it and he feed it, fed them once a day, not too much, not too little. He says, but every time he came over to that fish tank, those fish would scatter. They didn't want to know him. And he, and he had this, this vision of thinking that actually the only way I could possibly get through to these fish that I'm not going to harm them is if I became a fish myself. And actually, if God turns up in his divine power and glory, we would fear him, we would obey him, we would fear him, we would not love him. And in this moment in this, this of Simon's mother-in-law... Jesus comes in a personal, intimate way. And where most people are fearful of disease, Jesus comes in. And when we hang around people who are sick, you know, a lot of people don't even come to church sometimes. They're like, I don't want people to catch illness. That's nice. But Jesus is the opposite of that. He never catches it. In fact, the very opposite thing happens when Jesus comes into the presence of those who are ill. The illness goes. But in this moment, which is paralleled later on with the man with leprosy, in fact, there are two stories paralleled to show you the contrast between two responses. The first response of the mother-in-law of Simon is that once she's encountered Christ in a personal, intimate way, experienced the love of Christ, what is her response? Her response is to give back to him. Her immediate response is that you have given me your love. I will show love back to you. Her immediate response is the love of Christ has come near. My response is out of love. See, the reason Jesus held back, restrained his divinity so that we might know God. We might know him and love him and 
and experience his intimate, personal relationship. And then we have a look at the leper. The same, almost same setup. Here's a leper saying, Ill, save me, an outcast even. People will not go near him. If anyone touches him, they instantly become unclean. And here is Jesus, the ultimate definition of cleanliness, coming to a man who is defined by law as unclean. And when the man who defines cleanliness, touches he who is unclean, what happens? The transfer is not that he becomes unclean, but the, the leper becomes clean. You see, this is what God wants, is that we would understand that his love flowing towards us is what makes the difference. And the difference between Simon's mother-in-law and the leper is the leper had an encounter with Jesus Christ, And instead of turning to serve and obey him out of response of love, he only takes the gift that was given and starts talking about that. Not about the love of God. Not about his encounter with Jesus Christ. There are many times in our lives, and there will be many times in your life, where it feels like God's divine nature is being restrained. That if you are certainly all-powerful, God, then why don't you show it? Remember this. If you feel that the divine power of God is being restrained, even feel like God's refusing to display his divine power, it's because he wants you to know his love. The miracles that Jesus did are amazing, and I, and I, I long to see them, but not, not at the cost of knowing the love of God. You see, Jesus often, often refused to take the shortcuts for the lesser good. See, Jesus could have taken the shortcuts, and we would have got a relationship that was based on fear and servitude. No freedom, no love. But he refused to take the shortcuts. He refused it so that we may know his love. I want us to know today that there are many of you here who are going through tough times. And there's some who aren't. And but if you're feeling like God's withholding his divine nature, know it's because he wants to show you his true love. He wants to draw you in close so that you may have that intimate relationship with him. God wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to know his miracles. He wants you to know him. And sometimes the divine nature of Christ 
sometimes this power that we long to see, the movement of God, will blind us. Listen, it will blind us to knowing Christ. Miracles and healings have the potential. This is what we're saying in Scripture right here. It has the potential to blind us to who Christ is. Does that mean I don't want the healings? Does it mean I don't want the divine power of God? Absolutely not. Does it mean I don't believe in it? Absolutely not. But I don't want it at the cost of knowing my Savior. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we so enjoy that you speak the truth into our hearts. We so enjoy that you point us to Jesus Christ time and time again. And I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that we would know you in your truth. We would know you as you are, both fully God and fully man. As it says in Colossians, that the fullness of deity dwells bodily in you. And we don't, we don't get this divine nature and human nature distinct yet completely in union together that there is no separation. We don't understand it, but we know that you restrain your divinity to reveal your love. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that when we are looking for the move of God in our life, we are looking for not the power but the love of God to be displayed. I pray over the people here right now, Lord Jesus. I know many who are in very trying circumstances. And we pray, we do pray for your healing upon their lives. But most of all, most of all, first and foremost, we pray, may the gospel, the power of the gospel come in and set their hearts free. Break off the bondages that hold them that they may see the risen Christ, that they may know that they do not come in fear, but we can boldly approach because we are in Christ. The greatest miracle has happened. The greatest miracle of all is that we may know Jesus Christ. The miracle of all miracles. And as we look at these two amazing miracles, the miracle of restraint and the miracle of knowing God, we know that they are both for us, that we may come into harmony and union with Christ. So I pray, Lord Jesus, here and now, may we long to see you as you are, be freed from what we have been before, that we may enter into the fullness of you. In Jesus' name, amen.